0: Welcome to the Nashville Sounding Board, a brand new podcast dedicated to discussing social and political issues affecting the Nashville community. I'm your host, Benjamin Eagles. Today for our inaugural episode, I'm joined by Councilman Freddie O'Connell. Freddie represents Council District 19, most easily described as the downtown council district. We'll start out today with some background on Freddie do five rapid-fire questions before diving into a discussion of short-term rentals and the competing regulations currently before Metro Council. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and what led you to run for
1: Council? Sure, so I live in Salem Town with my family. We've been over there for 10 years. Got there pretty much because Whitney, my longtime girlfriend, had gone to Meharry for med school. Literally, when we bought our house, we didn't have a car. Um, So being close to where she was going was a a big deal. Found a home we loved and uh, haven't looked back since. So, you know, I grew up in Nashville, but honestly, I couldn't have anticipated, one, that I would be back after college, or two, that not long after getting back, I'd kind of start getting... As engaged in in civic activities, and you know, some of it really did stem from early on, and uh, in kind of being back and riding the bus. This is back now, almost 15 years ago, and. You know, when you kind of join the community of bus riders, you start paying a little more attention to what MTA is doing. They started having public meetings. I started showing up to those public meetings. You know, fast forward a few years and basically saved up the down payment uh, for our house by being car free for a few years. Mm -hmm. That process got me more in touch with kind of the bike ped advocacy community looking at ways to improve our mobility. So by the time I got to Salem Town, I was already doing quite a bit of work on bike, pet, and transit issues, and kind of just thinking about the way people move around Nashville, jobs access, et cetera. 2008, not long after we had been in our house, I got a call that just completely surprised me uh, from one of the mayors, uh, then Mayor Dean, senior advisors, asking me if I'd be interested in serving on the Nashville MTA Board of Directors. And I, you know, it's kind of one of those moments where you almost drop the phone, you're so <laughs> surprised to get the call. But I said, yeah. And so I, I did that eventually becoming chair of that board as we were really having some of our first modern conversations about whether and how to expand transit service. Doing that, and then, you know, I think some people knew by the time I got to the neighborhood that I had already some familiarity with departments and metro and all that, and all of a sudden it was like I was being Tap to take on a leadership role in the neighborhood. So by the time 2015 rolled around, I really had some people who were influential in the work that I had done encourage me to run. So
0: now we'll move on to the rapid fire questions. What's the first site you check in the morning?
1: For so many years, Google Reader was the thing. And after Google Reader, I feel like I drifted more to kind of a mix of social media and email. I check out Mike Allen's Axios AM newsletter. I would look at the Politico one as well. I check my council email. I, I jump on Twitter and see if, if there's stuff that's been cooking overnight on that. And that's that's really it. What do you say, Preds,
0: Titans, Sounds, or soccer?
1: You know, soccer, we've kind of had the FC thing going on for a little mm-hmm. bit. I, I literally haven't been to any of those games. Uh, and I have to say, you know, with the Preds and the Sounds both uh, having their homes in District 19, it's, <laughs> it's hard not to give some equal weight to both of those. I'd say based, if you looked at the, the number of tickets I've bought to anything, it's probably about equivalent between uh, the Preds and the Sounds over like, the past couple of years. When you can walk to games, you go to more games, right? Yeah. So uh, we're, we're in that great spot. Great. So we'll emphasize
0: the, the rapid fire nature of these. <laughs> so Favorite hot chicken.
1: Yeah, so this one's interesting because I am actually, and have been for many years now, a vegetarian. So, I figured you might be. I'm yeah, not sure. So, but I will say this. Green's Vegetarian Cafe, which a friend of mine opened uh, with Bob Bernstein at the Hillel Center on at Vanderbilt's Vandy. campus, they have a remarkably good entrant into this com- competition among uh, hot chicken places. They've got a hot tofu that they've hot tofu in that style of hot chicken, and it's uh, it's actually pretty good. Very true.
0: So you've mentioned Twitter before. Is that the social media you use the most?
1: Yeah, I would say so. It just seems a little less cumbersome than Facebook. And finally, best local brewery. I really like what Bearded Iris has done. They're a little bit newer to the scene. They're kind of over in East Germantown.
0: Fantastic. So now we'll jump into our discussion of short-term rentals in Nashville. A quick overview for listeners, Uh, the city has three classifications for short-term rentals. You have owner occupied not non-owner-occupied, and then type three is non-owner-occupied multifamily. And the Ringer's article from November estimated there are over 4,500 short-term rentals in Nashville, and a similar city in Portland has only 3,000. So how have you seen short-term rentals impact your neighborhood? Your council district obviously has the most short-term rentals.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because it also is demonstrative of how quickly Nashville is changing. When I was out knocking doors, which we did in every part of the district throughout 2015, I could not have told you that this would become one of the top three to five issues that I would spend time on over the next couple of years, right? I knew affordable housing was an issue from the conversations I was having. I knew that transit and mobility issues. I knew that kind of tension between opportunity and poverty. I knew all of those things were issues. I mean, honestly, I even knew that kind of criminal justice reforms would be an issue. And then, you know, I think education and public safety never really go away as issues, so I knew all of those things. I couldn't have anticipated, though. I mean, we, we've just had a public hearing last week on, you know, this latest raft of uh, proposed legislation on short-term rental regulation. And... As we've seen for now more than a year, you still get 100 or more people show up to talk about this issue. So there's no question that it's having an impact on the city as a whole. But, yeah, it's especially acute in District 19 because, to your point, we have more permitted short-term rentals in District 19 than in any other district. And if you start to go into the kind of gray and black market space of this and get up to that, you know, 5,000 number that are active in the city. I know for a fact that we have illegally operating short-term rentals in my neighborhood, uh, not to mention spread throughout District 19. And that's hard because right now, Metro codes especially, but to an extent, uh, Metro police are, you know, taxed to the limit. And I can't say that it's necessarily the top public safety concern of of if you get, you know, short-term rentals that are clearly diminishing quality of life uh, in what were previously, you know, kind of traditional residential neighborhoods, even close to the urban core, yeah. I mean, it's it is, without question, an issue that is impacting Nashville on a daily basis right now.
0: So, can you talk about the competing ordinances regarding short-term <laughs> rentals and which one you're backing?
1: Yeah. So, part of the issue here is you kind of ran down those those types, right? I think. One of the reasons this might not have been such a big issue, even as recently as 2015, is that when the whole idea of the sharing economy arrived in Nashville, right? Yeah, I'm sure the taxi companies were frustrated to look at how disruptive Uber and Lyft were gonna be for mobility, but Uber and Lyft only rarely wind up disrupting people's quality of life if you're not in the industry as a, as a driver trying to earn a living most of the time, Uber and Lyft themselves are not responsible for quality of life disruptions. In the early days, and I have a friend who started this way and, and made at least one you know, really good friend through this, somebody using an extra bedroom. I mean, it's basically like leveling up couch surfing as a, as a way of people visiting. And so she's out of the game now. And I think part of it is because of the turn that the industry took. And now it's almost like with Nashville literally making headlines as a destination for bachelorette parties, right? You know, if you've got 20 bachelorettes staying in a three or four bedroom house sandwiched between two houses that are being used primarily for residences, that puts a lot of pressure on things. So this idea that investors kind of swooped in and picked things up, creating these non owner occupied scenarios, right? Where instead of somebody renting out a spare room Or, you know, just going away for the weekend and and their house being open. You have these things that basically become investor-owned micro-hotels. And I don't mind that in areas where you would otherwise be able to have hotels. But what we're seeing is that these micro-hotels are popping up as purely commercial activity in districts that otherwise don't allow commercial activity. So. Early on, almost a year ago, one of my colleagues filed a bill, BL twenty seventeen six hundred eight, and what it does is it says you can't do these type twos in zones that are preceded by an R, like RS zones or single family districts. R districts are typically where you can do, you know, a duplex, sometimes a little bit more than that. And basically, it to me it restores a zoning integrity we almost inadvertently got away from when we first uh, permitted this as a use. So we had, you know, a lengthy discussion, public hearing about that. Uh, The vice mayor finally stepped in, I think, after fearing that Nashville, unique among places in the state of Tennessee, would get preempted on its ability to regulate these things and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay." after the first part of this session of the General Assembly last year, uh, when it looked like they literally were going to only target Nashville uh, in terms of this, you know, in, in terms of how the industry lobbied at the state level. They were going to strip of, strip us, at least temporarily, of our right to regulate the industry. He said, let's convene an ad hoc working group of this with a group of council members to kind of see if we can come up with some compromise legislation. So the working group met. One of the sponsors of the zoning bill, 608, was a participant. But other than that, it didn't have any of the top three districts that have the most short-term rentals in it. So the person who has the fourth and who presided over the first legislation, Berkeley Allen, was on the committee. But otherwise, it was basically um, general services district or outer area council members, although Jim Shulman, who was chair, is an at-large council member. Well, it's hard for me to think of the bill that they produced 2017 937 as a compromise because it didn't incorporate any of the recommendations brought to the table by neighbors. And so 937 is now out there. Basically, it lowers the cap in the outside of the urban uh, zoning overlay from 3% to 1%, so basically saying in these outer areas of Nashville, we're not going to allow these things to accumulate at a density that they do right now. You can currently have 3% of a census tract's parcels taken over as short-term rentals. You know, I think that's unfair just out of the box because it says, hey, this area where we're seeing the greatest amount of problems, we're not going to take take on that challenge. What we're going to do is say we're going to prevent that from coming into these other areas of the city. So I think that's problematic in that it creates this distinction and almost intentionally ignores the area where the problem is the greatest. The other issue is it grandfathers in all existing type twos in perpetuity, which means if you have a permit today, you're effectively entitled to maintain that permit as long as you own that property. And that basically cuts against one of the only provisions in it that I think is helpful, which is an anti-clustering provision, which effectively says you can't have multiple short-term rentals within a fixed distance of one another. But that as a benefit to urban core neighborhoods in these top three districts where they are, my district, District 19. Colby Sludge's district, District 17, and Brett Withers in East Nashville, District 6, it doesn't offer us any advantages because the clustering is already bad, right? So we might not see any new entrance into an area that's already got heavy clustering of short term rentals, but those short term rentals are going to be there until somehow, like, Nashville is not a destination city, which I can't see happening anytime in the near future.
0: Regarding the clustering, if these short-term rentals are creating quality of life problems, such as noise complaints, raucous parties, would it not in a way be better for them to be clustered and sort of minimize the number of people who are regular residents living next to a short-term rental?
1: So I would argue that 608 actually specifically accommodates that because I have long said that I am fully supportive of the idea of the sharing economy taking hold in areas of the city that are mixed use or designed to accommodate that variety of uses like the downtown code, which is entirely encompassed within my district, right? Mm-hmm. The moment 608 passes, people are going to be incented to look to those areas for clustering. And frankly, those areas are where clustering is probably the most appropriate. If you've got an R in front of the the you know your zoning for your parcel, though, I think it's reasonable to expect that you're not going to be faced with a hotel next door. There's a third group of bills, um, BL 2017 981. It's almost like the provisions of 608, but with grandfathering, so that non-owner-occupieds were no longer uh, allowed. You couldn't go get a new permit in a residential district, but uh, if you had an existing one, it wasn't going to be ripped away from you, right? I will personally say that I think the grand, like grandfathering in perpetuity instead of a phase out, is kind of a non-starter for me. So mm-hmm. I am. I continue to maintain both my sponsorship and my support of, of BL 2017 I do not support either BL 2017-937 or 981. Along for the ride here, in time for the public hearing, I also introduced my own bill, which was BL 2017-1005, and it would allow hotels and residential zones under the same scenarios as BL 2017-937, basically saying, all right. If we're going to give this kind of offshoot of the hospitality industry an entry point into neighborhoods, why not go all the way and say we're going to allow hotels, which are actually regulated and which actually, you know, need health inspectors and and a couple of other provisions, right? I mean, if we're concerned about you know, safety in an unregulated environment, let's bring in the regulated portion of the hospitality industry, because we're clearly comfortable with people residing in our neighborhoods, at least according to the current policy. So let's kind of expand that, you know, not to just isolate this one unusual industry and say that they get special privileges that literally no other commercial enterprise in the city of Nashville gets, uh, and, and really like say, all right, we've, we've identified that we like commercial activity in residential neighborhoods, let's <laughs> open the door. A little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek. I would say it was a provocative bill, but it, it really is to raise the point of if you're if we're going to defeat this one, which it did die on second reading, why are we going to allow this one industry an opportunity to effectively prey on residential neighborhoods in a way that we don't allow any other industry to?
0: Sure. So as you see it, is the goal and should the goal be to limit the number of Airbnbs outright or should our goal be to go after the bad actors, the noisy parties, the drunken bachelorette groups, the people causing disturbances?
1: So you know, I don't I don't necessarily know that it's a simple either-or. I think mm-hmm. first of all, we need to answer this question of if we want commercial activity in our neighborhoods. Council just voted to shut down a spot zoning that would have allowed a home-based music studio to continue operation and did right. the same thing for a home-based salon, mm-hmm. right? To me, that's a statement that council representing the interests of the city of Nashville does not want commercial activity by and large, even if it's a music city type of industry like a home-based studio in residential neighborhoods right now. I think the only reason we're still having a conversation about whether or not short-term rentals should be there is because of this threat of state preemption that has loomed over the council. And frankly, I'm not here To do the state's job for it preemptively by by failing to pass policies that are appropriately protective of neighborhoods. So, I think there's that zoning integrity issue, right? We need to answer this question of whether or not we want commercial activity in zones that have historically, uh, you know, throughout the history of Nashville, been residential. Separately from that, but you know, not. I mean, I'd say. That is a thing that we need to establish in terms of public policy. So I will will continue working through Tuesday to try to pass 608. Separately from that, just like anything, I mean, in District 19 right now, short-term rentals are not the only noise problem I face. Yeah, I need enforcement. And right now, I continue to deal with this challenge of codes doesn't want to do it, they point the finger to police. Police don't want to do it, so they point the finger back to codes. We really don't have a great enforcement mechanism in place right now, and so I think we need the you know, the policy framework to be correct for short-term rentals in particular. But the enforcement issues we are dealing with as a city right now go way beyond just short-term rentals and kind of bad actors in that space. It's a it's a bigger conversation that we need to have. I do think that we're in, in better shape than we were last year in having uh, codes have access to host compliance, which is software that kind of monitors the industry and can help uh, administratively you know tackle things like, uh, the bad faith operators people operating without a permit, people violating the terms of their permits, etc. I don't know that we need to necessarily cap the overall number of short-term rentals as long as we get the zoning policy right on it and ensure that you know type ones are the only type allowed in residential neighborhoods. I think the best case scenario here would be and it's tough to regulate this if the owner is present, that's probably as good as you're gonna hope for for how the sharing economy is administered right and at that point i don't I don't really care on the upper bound or or you know how many days a year that somebody is renting out their home as a as a short term rental if If the owner is present on site, that's the best case scenario. Frankly, if the industry were self-policing or self-regulating in any meaningful way, we wouldn't still be having this conversation, right? If they had dealt with the bad actor, we might still be talking about the zoning thing. But this whole issue of, of bachelor party houses and, and you know the clustering thing wouldn't be such a big deal if people weren't just using this stuff to rake in money at the expense of quality of life for people who had lived there in some cases for as much as 20, 30 or more years, right?
0: Sure. Currently, short-term rental permits are $50 a year. Would you be in favor of raising that permit cost and use that revenue towards enforcement?
1: You know, I think that's probably worth um, some consideration. Here's what I'll say. All right, if we raise those fees, ultimately, until we kind of solve this problem of is it codes, is it police, who is kind of supposed to be at the front end of enforcement, $50 or $500, dollars Hiring is not the issue. It's kind of, it's not the chief issue anyway. It's kind of what is our actual strategic approach to enforcement well, maybe you raised the fines as well. Yeah. I mean, fines, fines is a big deal. We saw our first $10,000 fine uh, show up in a news report recently, um, you know, after the environmental court kind of cracked down on this guy and, and literally after the news report, he was still renting, right? And so... Wow. Um, you know, if you're clearing $17,000 a month, certainly a $50 a day fine isn't going to get your attention. My hope would be that a $10,000 fine would, but we've got to see more of those. And eventually, you know, I think we're going to see further legal enforcement come in where it might result in somebody being arrested. Yeah, I think, I think it has to be meaningful penalties, meaningful consequences for people who are flagrantly doing things that that the city of Nashville has said you ought not do.
0: So many of the complaints and your complaints about short-term rentals have been about their impact on the fabric and character of our neighborhoods. Do you see any irony in that most of the Airbnb activity seems to be in gentrifying or recently gentrifying neighborhoods, such as your own Salem Town? And maybe we can think of short-term rentals changing the nature of neighborhoods much in the same way. It's kind of its own form of
1: gentrification. There's no question that it is an ingredient in the overall conversation of gentrification. In Salem Town alone, when you have a short-term rental investor come in and pay $800,000 cash for a home that might have listed at $650,000, not only is it impacting comps, which affect overall affordability in the area, but it also is actually taking that house out of our housing stock. I will say up front, I am not looking to ban short-term rentals in the city of Nashville, but it is absolutely affecting both affordability and the kind of the way the neighborhood changes in a, in a gentrification perspective.
0: So you've talked a little bit about how short-term rentals have impacted home prices, and I guess we would kind of have to worry about if there was a lot of regulation on it, what would that do to home values and property taxes in general? What about the effect on hotels? A Nashville Business Journal article from January 10th cites a report that almost 600,000 people stayed at Airbnbs in Nashville in 2017 which was a 70% jump year over year. Yeah. So what do you think would happen to hotel prices if suddenly the supply of Airbnb properties fell drastically?
1: You know, it's crazy. I think this is where Nashville probably – you mentioned Portland earlier about how they only have, you know, at least in, in terms of the the rough headcount, 3,000 or so operating right. in Portland, Right. I think this moment in Nashville that has sustained itself for a surprising number of years really maybe since the convention center opened its doors and you know we had the headline you know 2012 2013 of, of the New York Times uh, assigning us the status of it city you know hotel rates are sky high in Nashville we right. we continue to add new beds on a monthly basis and prices simply are not like, there's no downward pressure on prices right now. We have had m- multiple nights where the average room rate in Nashville is higher than Manhattan, which is, yep. you know, people in the in- industry will tell you that's not great or not sustainable. You know, at some point, I think that probably reaches something more like an equilibrium. Um, I think having more beds also means that you relieve the pressure on, on the short-term rental industry. There's no doubt that some people prefer to stay in a house, right? Like the character of staying in a house. I think we're going to continue to see growth in the sharing economy as we continue to see growth in Nashville's overall economy, right? I think if we're successful in passing 608, I predict that you will continue to see more and more short-term rental permits issued within the downtown code and within Nashville's mixed-use neighborhoods.
0: So we haven't talked much about type three, which is non-owner occupied apartments or or, uh, condos. And the Spokane, Washington-based vacation rental startup, Stay Alfred, has a 10-year lease as reported by the Tennessean. They've committed to 126 short-term rental units within Tony Girantana's new 505 Tower on Church Street. 505 is both, of course, within your district and the new tallest building within the city. How do you feel about that? It's kind of the super cluster.
1: Yeah. So to me, that's one stay Alfred's model is very different from uh, the other participants in, in the industry generally they background check all of their guests their model is really one of more uh, kind of executive availability right they they know they're in a thriving commercial and downtown urban district with a lot of offices their their target guest is not the Bachelorette party right mm-hmm. they they tend to have that kind of hey I'm a I'm somebody who's here on business for maybe 30 days, maybe 90 days, or I'm relocating to Nashville. Uh, I need someplace to be temporarily. So I think, one, their model is is fundamentally appropriate to Nashville's market right now. And two, even if it were, let's say Airbnb had done the same thing, I, ha- I, I can't say that I object to that, right? To me, the downtown code is... Exactly the part of the city that ought to support the greatest mix of uses. Generally, right? It is. It is the urban core. It's long had a, a mix of commercial and residential activity. Uh, it's the melting pot of the best of Nashville. If you're if you're operating within the terms of an HOA or whatever, the building owner clearly wants them to be there. Yeah, I think it's this is why it's not as simple to say, hey, are you for or against short-term rentals? I think mm-hmm. there are absolutely contexts in Nashville where the sharing economy makes a considerable amount of sense.
0: So the roughly six hundred thousand Airbnb guests last year spent over three hundred million dollars at Nashville merchants right. in twenty seventeen, and as you've mentioned, Airbnb definitely provides an alternative that's much more affordable for large groups. So are we risking killing the golden goose that is the tourism boom, specifically bachelor and bachelorette parties?
1: I, I absolutely do not think so, because short term rentals and this, you know, the CBC, which has, and and frankly. The hospitality industry, which has been very skeptical across the country in terms of, of how short-term rentals are affecting its, you know, membership, right? Like the hotel industry isn't for uh, short-term rental expansion generally. The hospitality industry absolutely wants to grow to accommodate the number of people that visit Nashville. This is why we have such an extraordinary number of beds mm-hmm. under construction right now. Um, you know, if I'm wrong and suddenly operate, I mean, that's... Operators aren't going to go away just because they can't exist any longer. Like, if the if the policy and regulatory framework um, keeps them out of certain areas, there's no way they're not going to show up in the areas where they are authorized, are permitted, uh, and are, are comfortably allowed, right? They're going to be competing just on a different footing. But, yeah, absolutely, you're going to see. I, I just don't think it's going to, one, I don't think it's going to impact that. Two, I think that the hospitality industry is scrambling to, uh, you know, make up as much of that difference on the curb, right? We're still going to drift to some equilibrium where anybody who wants to visit Nashville, including affordably, has some mechanism to do so.
0: So, if six oh eight passes, and I'm living down the street from you in in Salem Town, what's going to be the impact on short term rentals if six oh eight passes?
1: So, there's a three year phase out period built into the bill where if you have a short term rental permit that is type two, you basically have up to three years to figure that out. You can either long-term lease that property, move back to that property, and, and convert that permit to a type one, or you can sell that property, right? It, 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 same thing, right? It, Nashville is in, not just, I would say, an affordable housing crisis. We just, we're we're struggling to build housing, period, at the rate at which people are moving here, right? The, right. the latest numbers I've shown suggest that a net 100 people a day are showing up in Nashville, right? We simply need housing, right? So the more of those units return to the opportunity to be residences, the better off the city is going to be as a whole. Again, I don't think this conversation ends by any stretch on Tuesday. I think obviously this, depending on what we do in Nashville, the state might very well respond. And depending on how the state responds, the citizens of Nashville might continue to respond in ways that uh, agitate for a, a more reasonable policy outcome.
0: So, Freddie, thanks so much for agreeing to do this interview and being the first guest on Nashville Sounding Board. I'm honored to be
1: in this inaugural seat.
0: And thanks to everyone for listening.